Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we welcome back William Balbean, General Partner at SWSV and Managing Director of Orbit Startups. Orbit Startups helps companies scale breakthrough technologies across emerging and frontier markets to the regions with the most aggressive growth. William has been a pioneer in the tech and telecommunications space in Asia. During his time with SoftBank China and India Holdings, he led investments in companies such as Yodo One, Demis Data, Lican, and Massive Impact. His resume also includes work as an equity research analyst at Deutsche Bank, covering the internet and telecom equipment sector in Asia for 11 years before joining Singtel Innovate Ventures, where he focused on supporting China investments. In this part one, William discusses his work as a venture investor and how COVID impacted his activities and work processes, as well as what defines successful startups in Asia. He also unravels some of the brilliance that happens during accelerator programs, describes why founder characteristics may predict success, and what distinguishes teams he works with from those outside of Asia in their approach to building a startup or portfolio company. Enjoy. Like, it's not like you go to New York and then you hit Chicago and you have to redo all your experiment. But if you're in Carta and you go to Surabaya, you need to redo everything. You need to start off experimenting pretty much from ground zero to make sure that your solution is going to you know, solve a problem in that neighboring city, let alone if you're going from Indonesia to Malaysia. So I'd say the culture of experimenting in, in Asia is pretty strong. Of course, the U.S. is strong too, but usually once a company in the U.S. gets product market fit, they're not continuing to challenge their, their, their basic model. They're trying to take that model and replicate it. Whereas in Asia, if you want to try and go cross-border, you you really have to uh, make significant changes to what you're doing in order to make sure that your solution is solving a problem in the city, the region, or the country that you're going into. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. William, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be back. Thanks. You've been on before. You travel all over the world. Where are you actually recording from today? Yeah, so I just landed in Taipei. I'm in this lovely uh, quarantine hotel. Uh, Taiwan has gotten rid of quarantine, but uh, only as of like two weeks from now. Uh, So it's good to, uh, you know. It's just it's only three nights, so no big yeah. deal. We're recording this at the end of September, and unfortunately, you you landed like less than a week ahead of you know all their changes that are coming. So you still have to sit in quarantine for a few days. So beyond that, tell us quick introduction into yourself and the work that you do. Sure. Um, so I'm managing director at Orbit Orbit Startups. Uh, so what we do is we invest in the best of the best tech startups from around the world. Uh, and then we help them grow up in their home country 
and go cross-border, especially into frontier and emerging markets. Uh, so it's really about uh, economic independence, helping the next 4 billion consumers leverage technology to have a better life, um, both in terms of uh, wealth, you know, work, uh, lifestyle, uh, and uh, education. Um, so we started uh, out in the largest emerging frontier market in the world, uh, which is China, 12 years ago. Uh, and now we are across Southeast Asia, South Asia, Middle East, North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, and LATAM. Uh, so taking what we learned uh, from China, you know, they brought uh, the, one of the largest numbers of people from uh, below poverty line to above poverty line uh, in the history of the world. So we're taking the lessons that we learned in those early days in China and bringing them to the rest of the world to help, again, uh, give economic independence uh, to lower income, middle income uh, people across these emerging frontier markets. For the audience's awareness, a couple of things. So uh, one William and I go way back. So if we seem very familiar as we're doing this recording in this podcast, um, that's because William and I have known each other for well, well over a decade now. We work together at SOSV. Uh, I know he's wearing a T-shirt that says Orbit. That was a rebrand from uh, the previous brand that I was involved with, which was China Accelerator, that William came in as, as my boss, as the uh, managing director of at least for China Accelerator and the other things that he was doing and building with SOSV. And so we go way back. So I wanted to call that out because you're probably going to notice that. Uh, and the second thing is William is a return guest. So he was on the on the pod back in January of 2020. But, you know, it, and I think it was, the, yeah, it was our, our opening episode of that year. Um, but little did we know that post that recording, the world was going to get turned on its head. So I wanted to kind of dive in from that point Tell us a little bit about what's been keeping you busy over the course of the pandemic, both in and out of VC. By way of background, know what all the taught. I was a mentor at uh, well, the previous Orbit uh, before the rebrand before, and he brought me on uh, to be the MD. Uh, so thanks so much. Uh, it's been a wild ride. Uh, and uh, gr so great to have you as a, as a, as a mentor uh, with, uh, with the program. So we went virtual. Uh, so we're a VC. We invest through our VC SOSV. Uh, and then we have our program. And back in the day, the program was three months. And then what we, we found out is if we continue to work with the companies longer, uh, they would survive and, and do better. So we extended it to six months. And then uh, about a year before the pandemic, we made a change and the program lasts forever. So we were the first accelerator and the first and only active accelerator in Asia to have a unicorn go through the program as a fintech. Uh, but we're no longer an accelerator because our program lasts forever. And by definition, uh, accelerators have an end. Uh, so what we've been really busy doing is uh, basically bringing the lessons from Asia uh, to the best tech startups around the world. Uh, case in point, you know, in the West, you're kind of used to a media based model where you get a bunch of users and then you pop in some ads and you make money on ads. Uh, and uh, now you've got companies like Signal uh, uh, who don't collect any data on their users. You've got companies like uh, Apple and Google who turned off their unique identifiers, their ad IDs, uh, so that nobody knows who anybody is. 
Um, that's more a Western model, a media-based model. Uh, and But what came out of Asia and especially China is more a revenue share-based model where you're not trying to spam everybody with ads. Uh, you're trying to add value to the consumer and the consumer opts in uh, because they're getting great value, they're getting great content, they're getting great product, they're getting great something, and they can opt out any time. Uh, but the, the the way money is made is based on revenue share, not on media, not on ads. Uh, so there's a real drive to provide uh, deep value to the consumers and even to businesses. Uh, and based on that value, you can monetize, but it's a much higher bar. And then the platforms themselves make money on, on that revenue share that I mentioned. So how do we bring this kind of idea and this innovation uh, out from, from China to Southeast Asia, South Asia, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan now, uh, into the Middle East, and then now Africa and Latin? Uh, so that's kept us really busy. We're talking like thousands of hours on Zoom, working with over 80 teams, new investments, and we never met the founders in person. Uh, so, you know, power of the Internet. Uh, but the last five weeks have been a real whirlwind uh, because I just got to meet almost all the teams in person for the first time. Yeah, that's right. You, you've you been traveling a ton. Um, I've noticed that because you can because in a lot of areas around the world now, obviously, you are in quarantine where you are right now. But for just about everywhere and pretty soon, you know, Taiwan, you're you're going to be able to move about freely. So you've been able to do that. But I wanted to go back to the, the COVID and, and orbit. I'm curious even just how did COVID impact, alter, augment, subtly change what you were doing and was orbit at all born from any results or impacts from COVID? Yeah. So we are a little bit, uh, our program is for later stage startups who have users, they have revenue and they might not be from us and China, you know, which are really big markets. They might be from a smaller market, but they have great tech and they have great talent. Um, and what we do is we help them grow. Uh, so it's a growth program. It's not a product market fit program. Most of our companies already have product market fit. They're usually doing between 10 and 100K monthly net revenue, you know, revenue after variable costs. The average is about 50. And um, so what happened was, but and this is before COVID, um, doing an in-person program where the entire team flies to a particular location and stays there together uh, doesn't really work because they have 10, 15, 20 people on the team, some as high as 50 already. Uh, and they're, uh, you know, 100K in Asia goes a long way uh, in terms of salaries. Uh, so... Uh, we went virtual or, or partially virtual about a year before COVID hit. So when COVID happened, I wouldn't say we were prepared. Uh, it was very, very difficult. Um, but we were probably better positioned than others in that we had taken uh, most of the pieces of our program uh, largely virtual. Uh, and we weren't reliant on in person to the extent that we were in those early days. Um so that's the first thing. The second thing is we have always been focused on consumer Internet, not just enterprise. So there's been a move to over the last two or three or four years, especially in Asia, uh, to more B2B as some of the consumer opportunities get a bit more competitive, um, especially in China. Uh, but, you know, from 2017, 2017, we um 
basically repositioned out of China, but taking the learnings from China to the rest of Asia and then the rest of the world. Uh, and so what we're looking at um, through this COVID period uh, is internet, consumer internet got really, really popular, right? Uh, because a lot of people were at home. Uh, and so our, our, our companies did well, but you know, like doing well is almost uh, as hard to handle as doing not so well because you're trying to manage through that growth. Uh, so uh, having a sounding board, having a community, having like a cohort or a group of other founders to go through uh, this with, even if it's just on Zoom, uh, was super useful as our startups tried to manage through um but uh, a, a very tough period. And uh, one difference between us and others is that we're investing across multiple countries. So we're not geographically focused. I mean, Orbit, you know, our, our, our world is the world, right? Especially emerging frontier markets. So we have companies that are doing very similar things, but in different geographies, right? And, and so that really helps when, you know, your, your market force in Kenya expanding into Nigeria and you get to talk to Dastigir in Pakistan uh, or Supply Note in India and talking about the challenges of how do you handle logistics and supply chain for small businesses and small market sellers and small restaurants uh, in a period where, you know, there's a COVID disruption, you know, every month or two. Uh, so it's been a, 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 it's orbit was born before I would say, but, um, really came of age during this, uh, this, uh, tough time, um, where, and, and a lot of the companies they got, we just all got a lot more comfortable, uh, engaging, uh, online now, uh, being together offline has been awesome. Um, and there's a lot of things we just missed because we weren't in person. And so it's really great to now get back in person. So I highly recommend getting back in, in person with folks. Uh, but, um, uh, but we do a, a hybrid approach now. Uh, and uh, so far, so good. Let me ask you about that. And, and I, I, was, I was saving Orbit for the end, but I think we're right into it. So, you know, we, we, can, we can absolutely uh, talk everything about Orbit. But doing the work... That you do, I mean, from your your days back with Singtel Innovate, how did you do your job during COVID, and and what did you maybe have to do differently? I mean, as you're investing, you're talking to startups, you're you're trying to read them, you're trying to gauge them, you're trying to figure them out, you're trying, you know, and and there's all kinds of social clues that you can pick up when you're in person. How do you do that? How do you how do you continue to move forward and march and and deploy funds and grow companies when you don't get to sit with them? You know, our program is not rocket science. We're basically implementing lean startup just in a very uh, systematic and data driven way. Right. So think about, um, you know, we, we have uh, we just take lean canvas. We just start off with lean canvas. Most of the companies already have one. Right. And then just what are your KPIs? And then, OK, what's your one metric that matters? A North Star metric. And then, OK, let's report these things weekly. How are your analytics doing? Uh, so we just get plugged in. And that's part of the onboarding. Um, and then the first group that usually gets involved is our growth team. And it's basically you know, can't, you can't prove anything until you measure it. So we make sure that their analytics are up and running. They don't know how to use them. A lot of the companies already have very good analytics. Um, and then we just start measuring. Uh, and uh, the key is running experiments. So helping the startups design experiments, run experiments properly. Uh, and then, and then, you know, base iterating. 
Um, so through this process of working side by side, and our team is not structured like a traditional program. I mean, we we work with you know about forty companies a year, new companies a year. Uh, our total portfolio is quite large; it's about two hundred and thirty companies active, and our program does last forever. We support forever, but we've got forty five full time now. Uh, we've got thirteen EIRs and experts and residents, and over five hundred mentors uh, uh, supporting the companies. But we just really just start off with fun- fundamental, you know. What are the KPIs? Because they're different for every company. Uh, And then designing proper experiments, running those experiments to help drive growth. And so we're growth first, traction first, uh, then fundraising. Uh, So when you're building the the experiments together, uh, you get a very good sense for what's going on. Of course, you miss things. um, But just having that discipline of designing and running experiments uh, is is really, uh, really important. Um, So. Uh, that's been uh, amazing. I mean, we brought on a, a couple of our mentors full time. Uh, we now have this growth team, uh, and uh, that's been super valuable, especially during this tough time. I'm all in on that. You're you're completely speaking my language, and of course, you were because you and I used to speak the same language all the time every day. That is, it is the experiments. I mean, it's, it's almost like calling what you have built a solution because unless it has solved the problem for everybody, it's a misnomer to actually call it a solution. What you have is an experiment and that experiment is what it is and it is designed to collect data. Uh, and what do, we use, what do we do with that data? We design the next experiment um, <laughs> based on that data and it's a rinse and repeat process. Did you find that maybe in, in, in a way where when you remove one sense from somebody else or from somebody, their other senses augment. Did you maybe find that, okay, now I don't get to be with somebody in person. So your other senses, as far as working with startups, knowing what they need, or even just like now I'm so all in on data, I'm, I'm getting just so much better at now understanding what data tells us and, and, and implies that we should do next. Did you find that happen for you during COVID? Yeah, I think that we had a bit more time to reflect because uh, we weren't running around as much. Um, and uh, because we scaled up, you know, we used to be, you know, four of us and then it went to 45 of us. Uh, so we had to put internally, we had to learn new skills, right? We needed to put systems and processes in together uh, because our program used to be two or three dimension dimensional. And now we help with, um, you know, not just mentoring and not just growth and not just fundraising, uh, but we're also helping with strategic partnerships. We have an enterprise sales team uh, and we help. um, I think we're the only VC in the world that provides free advertising, free user acquisition uh, to our our startups. Uh, And uh, so it, it, uh, we had to change and grow up. So just as, I mean, we're a startup and our, service that we provide, the problem that we solve is that we help uh, the startups that we uh, work with grow. Uh, the way we monetize that is through equity. Um, but uh, in, a, in a sense, we transformed from, you know, kind of a traditional accelerator with a VC backer uh, into a real ecosystem where companies are, are, are working together. So the thing that uh, really uh, became important is like, how do you get people to interact and trust each other uh, over a screen? Uh, and that 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 took a little bit of doing. It was not easy, um, but we uh, and, and 
people are spending a lot of time on screens. So, uh, but we, what we did, uh, we have weekly get togethers and things like that. Um, but the content, you know, usually when you're in person is, you know, grab a couple of beers or whatever. Um, when you're online, uh, you actually have to put some content and, and we, we just, we were constantly experimenting about how do you, uh, drive engagement, um, and, uh, value, uh, but over a screen or through the power of voice. I always kind of knew that there was a method to the madness or, or, or something around the evil genius really around the accelerator programs was saying, hey, we've got 50, 60 pretty brilliant people all sharing this trauma of going through this program. And that, you know, was a lot of my role was being this 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 hawk that was circling overhead forcing all the ducks to huddle together on the lake. And then they started leveraging and leaning and learning from each other, solving each other's problems um, and, and sourcing amongst each other, all these kinds of like, you have a lot of brilliant, but they just didn't know how to unlock the some greater than the parts type of opportunity that was sitting there. And really that is some of the brilliance that actually happens during a program. Yeah, just like sharing. I mean, uh, we have this thing where people share at the end of every week and we want people to, you know, open up a bit and trust each other. And everybody gets about a minute, minute and a half because you don't want people going on forever. And it's like, oh, F, this happened. Oh, F, that happened. Oh, mm-hmm. F, this other thing happened. And it's just, you know, getting out whatever happened uh, relatively quickly uh, and then people will just riff on that and it could be personal it could be the fact that you know like the internet went out or there's a massive flood because um, a lot of our companies are in, a, in, in emerging markets frontier markets like Pakistan where there's natural disaster and a relatively periodic uh, sense and internet access in, in sub-Saharan Africa is not really great uh, so that was a really good tool uh, to bring people together and, and get them to open up, even if they didn't really ever meet before. Uh, and so now that we're meeting together, uh, the only thing that we're learning really new is just that some people are a little bit shorter and taller than we thought they were. That 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 actually that 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 is totally true. I, I that does yeah. happen all the time. Like, wow, I can't believe how tall you guys are. Yeah, like, uh, that's that's definitely an in person. That's a real life thing that's happening a lot these days for sure. Let me ask you. When you're working with the companies, can you maybe do something for us? Separate in whatever ways are worth mentioning, working with Asian startups versus European, Middle Eastern, LATAM, Western, uh, like North American. What are the strengths and differences of the teams that you invest and work with in Asia versus outside of Asia? Yeah, it's a complicated one. And so we're primarily working with startups from Asia. Most U.S. startups um, think U.S. first because U.S. is a very, very, very big market. Um, so I think the uh, you know the the first challenge is that in order to drive a revolution in the U.S., um, you need to you need to have like a some sort of game changing technology generally. Uh, it's not just a general, it's not just good enough to show up and making something slightly better. You need to make it much, much, much better. Uh, and uh, most of those challenges are pretty unique to developed markets like the U S and Western Europe. Uh, so uh, first world problems. Right. Uh, and, and so um, when um, you know, 
the entrepreneurs uh, try and ex- come from the U.S. or come from North America and they want to expand to other markets, um, they often don't understand very well that it's difficult to take something that worked in the U.S. and bring it to other countries um, or other countries in Asia uh, because Asian markets are not as developed. And when they did develop, they developed differently. Um, For example, the U.S., uh, e-commerce penetration was 1% a year for 15 years. It took 15 years for uh, the U.S. to to reach 15% e-commerce market share um, versus total uh, consumer spend. Right? Uh, Asia was already like uh, 32, 33% uh, of all spend is online. Right? So uh, more than double. Now, during COVID, U.S. kind of caught up. Uh, U.S. went from 15 to 30% in two years. Uh, but um, so Asia is a different market. Now, entrepreneurs in Asia, um, if they're coming from a big market like uh, China, um, they uh, are very, very data-driven, very experiment-driven. Uh, and uh, when they are come out of China, you know, they uh, generally do pretty well. Uh, once they get the understanding of the local problems and the local legal system and platform. Whereas when you get a, a U.S. startup coming in, they don't have that the same level of culture of uh, fundamental experimenting, like questioning fun, real fundamental challenges. Uh, so, for example, problems. Um, does your solution actually solve a problem in Asia? So somebody from Asia understands that uh, even if I'm in my own market, like Jakarta, you know, in Indonesia, but I go to another city, it's like another country. It runs completely different. Um, whereas the U.S. is pretty homogenous uh, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of problems, in terms of uh, the, the opportunities out there. Whenever, like, it's not like you go to New York and then you you hit Chicago and you have to redo all your experiments, right? But if you're in Carta and you go to Surabaya, you need to redo everything. You need to start off experimenting pretty much from ground zero to make sure that your solution is going to, you know, solve a problem in that neighboring city, let alone if you're going from Indonesia to Malaysia, right? So I'd say... Um, the, the culture of experimenting in, in Asia is pretty strong. Of course, the U.S. is strong, too. But usually once a company in the U.S. gets product market fit, they're not continuingly to, uh, you know, to, to challenge their, their, their basic model. They're trying to take that model and replicate it. Whereas in Asia, if you want to try and go cross-border, uh, you, you really have to uh, make significant changes to what you're doing in order to make sure that your solution is solving a problem in the city, the region, or the country that you're going into. Let's see if I can get you, because I mean, you, you know, you've been doing Asia for over 20 years. You've known this market, you're a, so much of your professional experience, I, I, I'll stop short of saying all, but it's, so much of it is, is Asia. Could we potentially call out characteristics founder characteristics that could potentially be success predictors how would those look if we looked at korea versus japan versus china other southeast asia regions i don't want to ask you to do this as a as a first time work if you've never really done this before so you know and i know i'm putting you on the spot with this but could you potentially separate those regions a little bit 
in founder success profiles? Sure. So we don't we don't really work that much in Japan. Um, but Japan uh, is a market generally focused on Japan. So Japan startups for Japan market. It's a pretty big market. Uh, it's actually a very big market. But the market has changed significantly in the last couple of years in that the startup uh, ecosystem has actually taken off. It's kind of a late bloomer. Um, so for international startups going into Japan, it's a lot more open than it used to be. And this is just in the last two or three years. Um, so before you go to Japan, it was almost impossible. Now you go to Japan, it's just damn hard. Right. So, uh, but it is possible. Um, yeah. It's, it's uh, the, Amount, um, the one thing that uh, you have to know if you're going to Japan <clears throat> is like, um, you know, fake it until you make it or, um, you know, launching product that only works halfway or a quarter way or even 90% doesn't work. Um, they're really into having solid product. So in order to support a Japan launch, you might have to double your team or triple your team. And a lot of those people would probably be need to be on the ground. Uh, so it is a expensive market enter. yeah it's a big bet um so for korea just i mean we work with a lot of korean ai startups um we run um global startup academy with kissed which is a government organization taking kind of the best of the best engineering talent uh from uh from the, the schools there and then helping them these are early stage companies and and this is a program that we run we don't invest in the companies but we do invest in some of the graduates that come out of it uh and so very tech driven uh oftentimes they're not just trying to solve korea problems but there's an opportunity to solve international problems so you know back when you and i were working together we had tappy tune um, you know, they're doing very, very well bringing Korean webtoons, basically comics uh, in app form to uh, into English and now French, German, Spanish uh, to the world and anime and webtoons and uh, super popular right now. Right. And, and so they're doing well. But now we're also bringing you know, there's a lot of hardcore AI engineering talent there, um, super into crypto. Uh, so blockchain. Uh, so that's an area of focus. Uh there, you know, for, for entrepreneurs coming out, uh, and you know, some of the challenges, uh, for them a bit linguistic, right? So, um, folks, English is not always that great in Korea. Uh, and so communication, uh, is important both for international startups going in, but also Korean startups coming out. Uh, and, uh, we've helped our companies like navigate through that. Um, and then, so for China, I think China is now, you know, the um, basically largest uh, largest economy. It's the number one trading partner with uh, LATAM. It's the number one trading partner with Southeast Asia. It's not a rising power. It's already a power. Uh, and uh, so um, the opportunity in, within China is quite difficult uh, because, you know, as an international startup coming in, you've got so many disadvantages. So what we do is uh, something we call, uh, well, called the China backdoor, but we partner with a lot of multinationals, like 40% of the Fortune 500 uh, or, you know, top companies think that China will be their number one revenue market in the world because it's the largest economy in the world. Uh, and uh, But they're, they're under huge competitive pressure, uh, both from other multinationals, but mostly from local competitors who move faster, uh, are 
you know, better funded uh, and uh, more nimble and of the market. Right. And, and so we're bringing the best startups from around the world to China to partner with Unilever, uh, J&J, P&G, uh, ABN Bev, uh, you know, Pfizer, uh, Siemens. Um, so we're connecting a lot of these global startups to global multinationals, but in China, because, you know, when we partner with a, a, a global multinational in Europe or the U.S., from first conversation to cl- deal close, it might take a year. Uh, or anybody who's been through a corporate accelerator knows that, you know, a lot of talking happens and not a lot of commercial agreements, right? Um, but what we're seeing in, in, in China is like first conversation to sign contracts, you know, three months because they don't have a choice because they're getting their butts kicked. The multinationals are under a huge amount of pressure in China. Uh, and so there's an opportunity for international startups to go in. Um, now, there's also a huge opportunity for Chinese startups to come out. Um, it's much less competitive outside China. And you can raise two, three million dollars in China pretty easily. It's pretty hard to get that in Southeast Asia. You know, you have to be much uh, later stage. Uh, so there's a capital imbalance. Uh, and that sort of background of doing experiments uh, really helps uh, Chinese startups do well outside of China. Um, the barriers are generally cultural uh, and uh, communication is not always great, but we've seen really good instances uh, of you know great China tech uh, coming out. Uh, like Voila.love um, helps U.S. and uh, European TikTokers and Instagrammers monetize in a China way, social commerce, um, which is not generally supported by Instagram or TikTok uh, outside of uh, t- TikTok inside of China has commerce, but not outside of China. Not yet. They're working on it, but it's not working too well. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. But Instagram doesn't really support commerce. So how do you take you know some, some of this technology and in, in, you know, social commerce innovation from a market like China, bring that to North America. Uh, we also have a company called Vizard, uh, which is leveraging really cool AI um, uh, from China. Uh, and uh, the, the, the guy there used to um, uh, be a head of 30 person team uh, doing Chinese text input, leveraging uh, AI. Right. And so they had 300 million daily active users on uh, his product. Um, and, and so they're coming out uh, and they're uh, analyzing video and doing automatic subtitling and then using that automatic subtitling to actually edit uh, video. Uh, it's a cool function uh, called Vizard uh, with a V. Uh, so those are some examples of, of, of uh, China out. Um, hopefully that covers most of the geographies you mentioned. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.